This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Father God, may we know you in a new way this morning, for you are here and we are reading and thinking about your word. And we want to meet you there, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that, um, that you draw us into the life of our Lord Jesus in new ways each and every time we gather together. In your name, Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, please... I pray, let us do the things in this service that honor you. You are our Lord, you are our King, you are our Savior, you are our abundant provision. May you be lifted up. Amen. So this week, we begin a series. You may have read about that. I believe you received a mailing to that effect, and it's about the provision of God. Now, if you have a roof over your head and food on your table with your daily needs of love and stability met, perhaps contemplation of God's provision may not have the urgency it might for those for whom this isn't true. But then when a global pandemic hits, when over the months we have experienced so much diminishment and deprivation, where culturally there is so much that feels like chaos and noise, where our margins and are thin and our anxieties high, maybe this is precisely the time we need to be contemplating God's provision. There's real loss. There are things that we can't and shouldn't do in COVID, things that aren't as we want them to be in our public life or in our community of faith, things that can't be as normal even in our own homes. Where all the things we do to fill the voids or attend to the losses still feel that they fall a bit short, not quite enough. But apart from pandemics, this rhythm of pressing in to know the God of abundance and provision is kind of a countercultural activity for the believer and so invites an attentiveness that all the soul rhythms of faith do, but perhaps in American culture carries a unique import. And the reason I say that is that even in a country where there is so much, the idea of scarcity is embedded in our cultural thinking, where not enough fuels so much of our consumer activity. Scarcity is presented to us as the norm of which provision of the latest product or service will provide the needed satisfaction, if only for a short time, until we can be convinced that this too is not enough. The scarcity thinking, this scarcity thinking creeps into the Christian mindset where it feeds on our fears like everyone else's and infects our faith. This isn't simply about our stuff or material resources either. The scarcity message taps into our inner voices where not enough messages 
tend to play out in an endless loop of shame and accusation. Then, when, then we might be sold books or seminars or gym memberships or the latest diet, but these voices are not quite so easily quieted. David Zoll, in his um, book, Seculosity, writes this, We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then, then value, vindication, and love would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. End quote. But there's no end game here. Right? The beast of enoughness is never satisfied. The busier we are and the better we perform, the more we fuel anxiety, insecurity, loneliness, fatigue, and isolation. But the God of abundant provision never casts us upon ourselves and our own resources and our own strength. Rather, he embeds us in a relationship that is so full up of soul-satisfying truths, of reordering words of acceptance and forgiveness, of grace and mercy and love, even giving us the resource of himself so that we might live in a broken world as broken people. Romans 12 in Romans 12, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so we enter a season not just thinking about provision, but engaging the God of provision, where we bring our hearts and minds to be shaped in the abundance we find in him as we study his word over the next few weeks and worship him together. So Philippians 3 it's a passage that points us to our God of provision. And friends, this kind of provision is a game changer because it speaks to the very nature of God's character. And as we flesh out the specifics of how we can know the God of provision in our lives, this is always, always, always our starting point. In this passage, Paul's talking about the provision of something towards which we move with intensity and intentionality. And I'm going back a few verses if you're digging into your bulletin. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm going back into the earlier part because it sets up what we have read this morning. Paul is talking about a provision towards which we move with intentionality and intensity, reflected in his words like press on and strain toward. He will name it as being found in Jesus. He's not encouraging us to run for its own sake. It's a prize that draws us into that sort of focus and intentionality. And so again, we go back a bit in the passage of Philippians 3. Earlier, Paul's given his resume, what enough, enoughness looks like in his Jewish culture and upbringing. All the things his listeners would consider making him of worth, the right lineage, education, complete adherence to the law. But then verse 7, where he writes this, but whatever gain I have, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What he seeks as an alternative to his human resume is to be found in his Lord Jesus Christ. All, everything, internal, outernal, uh, outside, circumstances, all of that find their source and beginning and end in Jesus Christ. Andrew Purvis, author and former professor at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, writes this. St. Paul used the words in Christ, in the Lord, in him, in his letters around 164 times. It's his fundamental statement about what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone in Christ. I take that, Purvis writes, to mean an organic connectedness, end quote. So this is the backdrop of verse 12 when Jesus, or when Paul says, Jesus has made me his own, right? I'm found in him. He's made me his own. They go together. This is the cosmic reordering word of grace in our lives. Hear it as such. For us to understand the God of provision, we must understand the abundance that's in that statement first. Hear the language Paul uses when he describes it in another passage, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is a gift, not the result of works, so that no one could boast. You see, this is the ultimate provision. What we have been given in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is and has been all about what Jesus has done for us and the wealth that fills that statement that he has made us his own. This is the starting point for our ability to rest in the God of provision because it's in that place that we find abundance. It's in that place that we meet the God of abundance. This is so important that we hang out here for a few minutes, right? Because otherwise, the next bit of what Paul says, it's tempting in that if we don't hang out here, it's tempting to make that another to-do list or a resume builder. Because he goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, see, I I am going to get to our passage. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word there, made perfect, means to make complete, right? To finish, to render a thing full. Paul's talking about moving into things that are already ours, like a house that's been purchased for us. We take hold of the deed, but then we move into the home that has been won for us, making every part of what is held for us, held out for us in that home, our own, increasingly and more fully. 
In other words, confidence in God's gracious acceptance of him allows Paul to focus on his relationship with Jesus Christ and frees him to seek, seek to know God, Christ better, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ. All of those things he mentions earlier in Philippians 3 and sums up in verse 16 when he says, they are the things which we have attained. So friends, given that's our starting point, given that's the point of abundance, Paul invites us then into maturity, into that forward movement that he's describing, increasingly laying hold of what is ours in Christ, That maturity is the grounding of our walking in this broken world as God's people, broken as we also are. Paul is clear in this and all his letters. Christ has made us his own, and in that is a wealth beyond our imagining. So we seek increasingly to lay hold of it. And for that process, even there, there is great abundance. There's urgency for this movement. Paul understands what it is to live as broken people in a broken world and what happens to anyone who's cast back on living out of our own meager resources and strength. Paul is saying to us, folks, move into the abundance waiting for us in our Lord Jesus Christ who has laid hold of us and made us his own. And so Paul directs our activity and intensifies our attention. And he invites us into the rhythm of his life and that of the other apostles, moving into what Christ has obtained for him and for us, seeking to know Christ more as he lives out his life of faith in the context of his identity in Jesus and practices those things day by day that keep him moving into that intimacy. I mean, think about it. Paul had to walk into his own weakness You know, Paul, that multi-competent guy, face into them, not shrink back from them, and find there that God was working out his strength in those weaknesses. See, Paul is being open here as to what this process of of moving into Christ looks like for him. It means coming face to face with his sin and the enormity of it. Read 1 Timothy Chapter 1, it means coming to face with the criticism and the weight of all of the false teaching and the compromised leaders and Jesus followers looking for moral loopholes. And when he's beaten down by this and he presses in, he finds that he's sharing in Jesus' suffering and that with, and there he finds, and that was both profoundly humbling but gave him a perspective of hope as well, that he was not alone and that this was not the end of the story. This is what it is for Paul. He's been kind of transparent to us about what it is for him to move into Christ, always pressing in and seeking to find himself whole and full and complete in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So why he's so hard on the legalists that in the beginning of chapter 3 who want to cast God's people back on their own meager resources and strength through adherence to the Old Testament law to make them right before God and gets them into that endless spinning of trying harder, doing more, rather than resting in the abundant provision of righteousness given to us by, in Jesus Christ. 
So too, he calls out those who are living um, lives serving the gods of pleasure, which he, he describes as gods of their belly, who are by nature asserting their own agendas over against the gospel, perhaps best summarized in the quote, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. It is by nature following this path that as a way of life is increasingly, becomes increasingly about the self and, and has to be in order to be sustained if you're going to live a life like that. Right? These are the earthly thing Paul is talking about. But it's just another way to be cast upon your meager resources. Ours is a different forward movement to a different destination, namely deeper into the life offered to us in Christ who's made us his own. It's the kingdom life, Paul will go on to say in Philippians 3, where our ultimate destination is according to him in verse 21, when Christ comes again and we find our lives to be fully found in him as he brings all of the universe under his reign, gathering together, with, gathering together a transformed people to himself. So, forward movement into the abundance of Christ as a way of living out our life of faith and meeting there the gift that we have in Christ. And the journey, all the stuff we need for it is given to us as well. That's the abundance. I mean, look at the scriptures, right? We're given psalms and songs and prayers for our use, songs of praise and thanksgiving, prayers of lament that speak to our hearts, speak our hearts um, when life is profoundly disoriented, disorienting, and we need to be reoriented once again to our Lord God. Profound statements of, pay, of faith and provision like we see in, in the saints like Mary and Hannah and Miriam and Moses and Zechariah and Simeon and David. Songs of confession and forgiveness like David. Patterns of prayer that shape the year and the day. Jesus' own prayer, which we which we say each week as a standard and model, his life of prayer as an exemplar and pattern, and it goes on and on. Communal patterns God gives us where we together go move into intimacy with God. Besides worship, there are communal practices throughout the whole the New Testament, gatherings to, fe to feast together, learning together, celebrating, remembering, serving, always together moving towards him being found in him. And then there's the whole of scripture, right? Where he reveals himself, where God reveals himself and speaks to his people and meets his people. The abundance of which we need so profoundly as we press into that organic connection that is our living relationship with a living Lord. These are gifts and patterns used by Paul and others as they moved into laying hold of the treasure they have in Christ. But these are only activities apart from the life-giving flow from the powerfully gracious and abundant, again, Holy Spirit. Drawing, filling, flowing, guiding, bubbling up from within, anointing from above. As we press into the one who has made us his own and what has been attained for us in him, we find the riches of his grace abundant forgiveness, 
a reordering word of acceptance and love, strength for the day, hope in the world of chaos and fear, and comfort in the face of great loss. This is the kingdom call and the pattern that we were made for. This is what the abundance looks like for the followers of Jesus. This is the focus for us as citizens of that kingdom. This is what allows us to face into the losses and diminishments of our day and of this life and still have on our lips this doxology. So to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.